pray and we're going to open up. We're going to take a short trip off of the book of Luke to, for the Christmas season and go over a couple more uh, areas of, about Christmas. So we're going to bow and open in prayer. Lord, we just thank you. Guide and lead us as we look at your word and show us what you would want us to see from this time. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to look today. There's not going to be a key scripture, but we're going to look at a lot of scripture today. Um, because I want to take a look at six prophecies of Jesus' birth. So we're going to look at the Old Testament verses on those prophecies, and then we'll look at when they were fulfilled, and then try to look at how easily some of these prophecies could have been fulfilled. Uh, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and, your, and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and it shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And that's what we're going to do. This is considered the first prophetic scripture of the, the Messiah, right after Adam and Eve sinned. And God already had the plan for redemption in mind before he created us. And we've talked about this at various times. I do not understand why God created mankind when there was... We have in this story that Adam and Eve sinned, but God knew that they were going to sin. In Revelation, it says that Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So we were told in the predeterminate counsel of God, before anything was created, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit got together. They said, we're going to create man. They're going to sin. And Jesus, will you die for them? And Jesus said, yes. Now, why he would do that, I don't know. Uh, I've always said, I think God got a pretty bad deal. Uh, he died so that he could get me. Now, the rest of you are pretty good, but I, he, he died so that he could get me. Uh, and yet, he did this. And the plan was already there. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, the plan was already there. And he says, Satan, you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And note that it says that it is the seed of the woman. All right? Which indicates already that this is going to be a virgin birth, and that's not what we're going to talk about at this point, but it is indicating that this is going to be a supernatural birth. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. He became human. This is the beauty on this. God knew that we as human beings could never pay the debt of sin that we deserved because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So God had to come down and pay that debt for us because we could never pay it. In Isaiah 64, it tells us that all our righteousnesses are filthy rags. So the best things that we can do in God's sight is filthy rags. And this is when you talk to somebody and say, well, you know, one of the great questions is when you die, what will you say to God to, when it's time to enter into, to be decided into heaven? And most people will tell you, unless they're a good Christian, well, I hope my good works are good enough to get me into heaven. The answer is no. It doesn't matter how many good works you've done compared to your sin. If you've had one sin, you deserve hell. And all of our righteousness does, doesn't get us into heaven. At the white throne judgment, when Jesus and the Father are sitting on the white throne judgment and people are standing before him in the white throne judgment, 
They're not going to, have a, uh, going to go to hell because of their sin, because Jesus paid for the sin. They're going to go into there because their righteousness is not good enough to enter into heaven. They'll be standing in there in their filthy rags. And for the first time in their real understanding, they'll realize that their righteousness is not good enough to get into heaven. And so people go, well, why do good things? Well, good things have good consequences. Bad things have bad consequences. Good things have good consequences. And if you do good, you get good rewards from God. If you do bad, you get bad rewards from God in this lifetime. Now, when we stand before God, good works are not going to get you into heaven, which is why Jesus had to become flesh. And he lived a perfect life to die on the cross. You know, it's quite interesting that the early church did not celebrate Christmas, as you see in the back of our bulletin. The early church did not celebrate Christmas. It wasn't until 400 years later that they started celebrating the birth of Jesus. Why? Because the church didn't really care that he was born. I mean, he had to be born to die. <laughs> but they really didn't care that he was born. They cared about his death, burial, and resurrection. That he died for our sins, was buried for our sins, and rose again to give us victory over sin. That's what they cared about. And so for years, we didn't have it. And as you saw in the bulletin, if you've read the bulletin yet, over the time, different groups of churches have outlawed Christmas. <laughs> Christmas and the church have had a very rocky relationship over the millennia. Uh, for many, many times they outlawed it, mostly because for the same reasons that we would think about outlawing it today. It is so far removed from the birth of Christ that the church said it's a sacrilege, so we don't want to even look at it because it has no importance to us. And it's, you know, during the Middle Ages, it became a very big party. You just had parties. And they weren't nice parties either. They were drunken parties. <laughs> that people would have. So the church oftentimes would outlaw Christmas over the years. So we look at this, and this is a big deal, though, that he was born. And we do want to look at that he was born. We're going to go to Genesis 49, verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall be the gathering of all people. So here we look at the king had to be born of the line of Judah. All right, the Messiah. Shiloh is another word for the Messiah. So he had to be born from the tribe of Judah. This is going to be something that we can measure. The first one being born of a woman's seed is pretty difficult because it's indicating no man, but doesn't clearly say virgin. When we get to virgin, we'll find out there's a zero chance of that one being fulfilled without God. In the, in the fact that Jesus had to be born of the tribe of Judah, there's a 1 in 12 chance that they picked the right tribe. That's about an 8.3% chance that he got the right tribe out of the deal. All right, Likely. People go to casinos all the time betting on a 1 in 12 chance of getting some number right. And, we do, and sometimes they win a little bit. In Matthew chapter 1, verses, verses 2 and 3. Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judah, Judah and his brethren, and Judah begat Perez, and Zerah, and of Tamar, and Perez begat Esron, and Esron became Aram. 
this one that in, in, in Matthew says Judas, which is Judah. All right? Jesus was born of Judah. This is Matthew giving the account of the lineage that nobody ever reads because you see that begat, 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 and you jump to the end of it and, and say, okay, a whole bunch of people gave birth. <laughs> but there's a lot of good things in these begats, and you all know that I love them uh, because I, I can see them in there. Now, if you go, okay, well, Joseph wasn't his father. What about Mary? We go to Luke chapter 3, verse 33. This is Jesus' lineage through, through Mary, which goes all the way back to David and Judah. And verse 33 says, Which was the son of Abinadad, the son of Aram, the son of Eshram, the son of Pharis, the son of Judah. So from both sides, Jesus was the right tribe. So we see the fulfillment here. Of all the tribes of Israel, 12 of them, the king, the Messiah, had to be born of the tribe of Judah. David was born of the tribe of Judah. And so he was the king. So the very first king of Israel was Saul. And Saul wasn't born from the right tribe. He was a Benjamite. So he was not the right, king, right person to be king, even though God said he's, my first, he's going to be the first king to show them how bad a king could be. And then he brought the right king in from the tribe of Judah. All right. So we have about an 8.3% chance that they picked the right, the right tribe. All right. Um, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephraim, though you be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth unto me that is to be the ruler of Israel whose goings forth have been from old from everlasting. This is a great verse if you really look at it. Micah 5.2 First off they picked Judah. Uh, they picked Judah to be the tribe. Next they say out of Bethlehem is going to be his birthplace. Now you may not know this but in the day of Micah Judah was this really really tiny town. It only had about 500 people in it, so it was a little bit bigger than our town here. But it was not a town that you would say the king was going to come from. So this is a big deal. But I also want to note at the very end of it, it says, Whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Their king, God said, was before time and will be after time. Which means the Messiah was going to be God. And this is something that so oftentimes you'll hear people say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. The Messiah wasn't claimed to be God. There's so many scriptures that say the Messiah, number one, had to be God. And that Jesus very much claimed to be God because when the, the Pharisees came and they were talking to him and, it, and they criticized him that he didn't know his father. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. And as soon as he said, before Abraham was, I am, they picked up stones to stone him for blasphemy. What did he do? He very clearly said to them, I am God. Before Abraham was, I am. And they knew what he was saying. And that irritated them really big and they were ready to kill him because he was claiming to be God. So we want to look at this and there's, those aren't the only, that's, that's the biggest one where, and the most clear one where he claimed to be God. 
John told us in John 1, 1 that in the beginning was, God, was the Word, and, the Word, and then we get down to verse 10. He says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he said before that, the Word was God. So John very clearly told us that Jesus was, was God. And this is very important for us to understand, this whole process involved in this. And these ones, of course, we all know these verses really well and when they were fulfilled. Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. And when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east into Jerusalem. Luke chapter uh, 2, verses 4 through 7, tell us the same exact thing, that he was born in Bethlehem. And in his case, they say they went back for their taxes. And I don't know if Mary and Joseph would have been back to Bethlehem if they hadn't been made to. <laughs> but God made sure that they obeyed his rules and said, okay, we're going to have this governor, this, this governor in, in Rome say that everybody has to go back to your hometowns to be taxed. And it just happened to be because they were of the tribe of Judah, of the family of David, that they had a hometown of Bethlehem. And this is very important because God said it's going to be Bethlehem that is going to be born in. Now, we don't know exactly how many cities there were at this time in, the, in there. Uh, Micah tells us very simply that there were thousands, you know, you, Bethlehem of thousands. So this is telling us very clearly that the odds of them picking the right town for Jesus to be born in are minuscule. <laughs> One in 1,000 chance, if we just use Micah's statement. Uh, I just counted in the back of my atlas, and I counted 60, 60 cities. You know, with 60s, there's a, there's a 0.01% chance that they picked the right city. <laughs> Micah tells us it's thousands. So we don't know how many cities there were, but we already have a fact that just with those two numbers that we can get some kind of estimate on, there's about a 0.0001 chance that they predicted just on the tribe in the city. You think God knows what he's talking about? Just a little bit? He was able, his predictions are very clear. Bethlehem and Judah. Very interesting that God says things so clear to us. When God talks to us, when he gives a prediction to us, he has precision to it. And this is something that we need to be aware of when we pray. You know, we don't need to be demanding of God to answer in a prayer some way. But how many people's prayers go, God, I hope you bless that person. Or God, bless me. Well, what is blessing? <laughs> you woke up the next morning and you were able to get out of bed. That's a pretty big blessing. God left oxygen on the earth and we can still breathe. That's a big blessing. That's not really what we meant, though, when we asked for a blessing, is it? Now, I'm not saying that we get so specific, say, God, uh, I, I expect you to give me a red Ferrari t by next week. Okay, I don't, I want to, I'm not going to go that far, but at the same time, do you, have a, do you have a prayer that God, that you will know that God actually answered? You know, uh, I want to tell you, be very careful. Don't try to tell God how he's going to answer his prayers. I spent many years doing that myself. God, you know, I really need this blessing. And, you know, so-and-so has lots of money. They could, why don't you just have them give me a check? You know how many times God answered that prayer? Zero. <laughs> you know, 
God, I need money to pay this bill, God always answered that prayer. Now, oftentimes he gave it to me in the form of a job. <laughs> Sometimes he gave it to me in the form of a gift, but normally it came in the form of a job that I had to go out and work for. And that job came just in time for getting the paycheck for, the, for that particular bill to be paid. But you know, we do need to be asking God for things that we can measure, that say, God, this is what is needed, and watch his answer. And then when he does answer, make sure you say thank you. It is so easy to forget that God gave you the gift in the first place. We want to reach out and tell him thank you when he answers. All right. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive, and she shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, a virgin, giving birth. Now all of us know, we, everybody in this room knows enough about biology to know that a virgin does not give birth. All right? And yet God said a virgin will give birth. So the chances of this prophecy being fulfilled without God being involved are zero. <laughs> all right? Um, and all of us know, you know, if we had one of our daughters come home and say, you know, I'm pregnant and I've never slept with anybody, uh, we wouldn't believe them. I feel sorry for Mary because she had to go tell mom and dad that she was pregnant and that it wasn't Joseph. Uh, and if you remember the story, and we're talking about this a little later this month, is Joseph had to be told by an angel that she was telling the truth. Because Joseph knew biology as well. He knew that his beautiful bride was pregnant and it wasn't him. And he was going to divorce her until the angel stepped in. And I, and I don't know, it doesn't tell us that the angel ever talked to Mary's mom and dad, or if they just took her word and Joseph's word. We don't know. It doesn't tell us anything about that. But you know, as a parent, that would have been a very hard uh, thing to decide because you weren't going to believe it. You, know, you weren't going to believe it. They, you know, and we put ourselves in that place. In Matthew chapter 2, Verse 18, oops, excuse me, Matthew 1.18, started reading the, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And then we look at Luke chapter 1. Verses 16 through 35, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it basically says, let's start at 26. In the sixth month of the angel was sent unto God in the city of Galilee named Nazareth. And a virgin espoused to a man named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And you go down and find out that she is still a virgin. And I love it at the end of Matthew when, when it says that Joseph did not sleep with Mary until after Jesus was born. He was no way in any shape or form going to have anybody make the accusation that it's your child. What a righteous man. They've been married and he is not taking his wife to bed until this child is born because it's God's child. And he wanted to make sure there was no way that they were going to say it's not. That is a righteous man. 
that God picked to be Mary's husband, to be the father of God, you know, the fleshlier father of God. You know, and that is definite restraint, definite protection. In Jeremiah, I got too many tags. <laughs> Jeremiah 31, 15, we read, And thus saith the Lord, the voice shall be heard in Ramoth, lamenting and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children, because they were not. Now you have to understand that these names are for Bethlehem area. Rachel was buried outside of, outside of Bethlehem and Ramoth is going to be part of Bethlehem, and uh, so their children were slaughtered, all right? And we know that story. We go back to Matthew chapter 2, verses 16 and 18. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceedingly wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and all the coast thereof from two years old and under, according to the time that he had diligently inquired the wise men. This is a really hard one when we think about it. Jesus' birth coincided with the death of every male child in Bethlehem and Judah, two years and under. They were all slaughtered at Herod's command, all because... God became flesh. It was one of the opportunities where Satan was trying to destroy the Messiah. And we've looked at this over the years. Satan has tried hard to destroy the Jewish people for all of, ever since Abraham was called and separated. Because God said the Messiah will come through Abraham's line. So Satan has diligently tried to wipe out the Jews ever since. We've seen it in Queen Esther's time. We've seen it in Assyria's time. We've seen it over and over again where the Jews were the center of being attacked. Satan could not prevent the birth of Jesus, so he tried to prevent the living of Jesus by killing all the children in that area. If he could kill the Messiah, then God lied. And he tried hard to kill the Messiah. He has tried hard since then to destroy the Jews because Revelation says that the Jews... Jews and Jerusalem will be the center of all of the prophetic activities of the end times. So he has tried hard to destroy the Jews through Hitler and so many other people trying to wipe out the Jews and anti-Semitism, which is kicking back up into full swing again, where people are trying to destroy the Jews. All because Satan does not want the Jews to be around. His goal is to get rid of the Jews. If he can get rid of the Jews, God lied. And he knows that, which is why the Jews have been the target of his attacks since Abraham's promise. Jesus was born, the Messiah was born, and an entire group of children were wiped out. And in two years and under, in that area, how were they saved? Do you know the story that an angel came to Joseph and said, go to Egypt? tonight and they obeyed and went to Egypt otherwise Jesus would have died again obedience 
obedience to God to keep him alive. Again, the chances of this happening are minuscule, that all these kids would die and one would escape. Why am I going through this series? I want us to understand that when God gives prophecies, he gives them very precisely, very accurately. We see the fulfillment, and we start taking all these things all together into one big, big grouping. We realize the chances of this happening, there would be nobody that would make a bet that this would have happened. You know, no gambler would take an odds of 0. .0000, however many zeros you want to go, because I didn't calculate the chances of all of these things. I just looked at, you know, zero, zero, 001 just for two things I could calculate. And no, no, no gambler is going to make that bet unless they gambled on God being true. Uh, and one last, one last one to look at is going to be in Hosea. Chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, when I loved him and called my son out of Egypt, and they called and so they went forth. This is considered the scripture of, of the Messiah that said the Messiah would be called out of Egypt. And then we looked at, we just talked a little bit about that in, in Matthew chapter 2. Verse 14. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother, and they departed unto Egypt. And they were there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. You know, well, Pastor, why are we going through all these prophecies? Well, my biggest reason going through the prophecies is so we know the Bible's true. The Bible predicted this. Now, this doesn't even count all the prophecies that we're talking about as death, burial, and resurrection. When we get into that one, we would have to have an entire week or month to be able to go through all the prophecies on that one. These are just the six most popular birth ones. There's a couple of others, but these are the most popular and clear ones. I want us to know that we can trust God's word. When God's word speaks, it is true. And this is something for us to understand. We can center our lives around God's word with great confidence that it is true. I have only been studying it for 50 years, and I have found no contradictions, no place where it disagrees with science, no place where it disagrees with psychology, good psychology. <laughs> uh, you know, it is true. We can center our life on his word. And the whole purpose of this is that God had a plan to come into this world and be born. You know, and it's quite amazing to me that he was born as a baby into the most humble home that could be found instead of a palace. The king of the universe is born in a stable, put into a manger. And the closest thing to a celebration he had was angels singing before the, praising God before, this, before the shepherds. There was no celebration in the palace. There was no celebration going on even in the stable so God presented a celebration. An angel, host of angels, praising God in the, in the sky. He did not get the kingly welcome. And you know, it was really interesting when we think about this. God became human and became an infant. 
All of us have dealt with infants at some point in our lifetime. Infants don't do anything. They don't crawl, they don't walk, well, they, don't, they do lots of things, they cry. <laughs> they cry, eat, and, and mess their diapers. <laughs> this is how Jesus came to earth, as an infant, defenseless, unable to take care of himself and had to be taken care of by earthly parents, raised. One of the greatest questions that are asked by theologians is when did this child know that he was God? And we don't really know. We know by age 12 that he knew. He said, I had to be about my father's business. How soon before that? We don't know exactly when then. But he'd lived a perfect life in the power of God and was ministered to. I can't even imagine what that means. I can't imagine what it would mean to live a perfect life at my age. Much less for him to be raised as a perfect child. To have no sin so that he could be the sacrifice that was going to go to the cross and pay our sin debt. Because at that time, he was the Passover lamb, and the Passover lamb had to be without flaw. And he was the Passover lamb without flaw so that God could pour out all of his anger on sin upon Jesus. And do you realize what that means? All the anger of God was poured out on Jesus for all the sin of the world. That's a lot of anger from a righteous, righteous God. And Jesus took it willingly. He knew why he had come into this world. He knew that he had to die, and he knew he was the, life, the world's only chance of eternal life so that we could be clothed with his righteousness by accepting that sacrifice. This is what it means to be a Christian. We accept what Jesus did on the cross for our sins because we cannot earn heaven, and he clothes us with righteousness. This is the beauty of what's going on in this section of Scripture, the proof that the Scripture is true. Prophecy is one of those greatest proofs, what we've seen already to be true. Jesus' birth was a miracle that was prophesied. His death, burial, and resurrection was, a, was prophesied. And there's still several prophecies to come. And we are going to take those ones by faith. He's fulfilled all the other ones. We can take by faith that those ones are going to be filled. Why? Because God has been true. Now, do we fully understand all the future ones? Nope. It may surprise many of us when these future ones happen. Nobody expected a virgin. Nobody expected Bethlehem. to. It's kind of interesting, you know, that when Jesus was born, the wise men went to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's where the kings lived in Israel. They fully expected to find the king there. And it's funny that the king had to talk to the priest to say, where's the, where's the Messiah going to be born? They answered it pretty quick. They knew where the Messiah was supposed to be born. And they answered it very quick. We need to know scripture. We need to know how God wants us to live our life. We can put our full trust in his word. There's nothing wrong in this word. When it, when it tells us how we're supposed to do something, we can trust it. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except by me, he is the only way. Period. No matter how bad you want to think about it, no matter how, how unfair you might think of that is, his name is the only way. 
And when I say name, I don't necessarily mean the word name Jesus. I mean his name, his reputation, his, his righteousness. People have gotten saved many times by just saying, God, I don't know who you are, but I cannot do this anymore. I need you. They have just prayed in Jesus' name. Contrary to what a lot of different people say, they have prayed in Jesus' name. God, I can't do it. I need you. That is salvation. When we recognize that we need God. Now, we have an advantage. We know his name. We know who it is we're supposed to call on. And they will know very quickly thereafter, too, because God will direct them. Okay, you've called on me. Now, go. Here's where you find the answers. And he will direct them to somebody to tell them who this name is that they've just called out on. But it is all about understanding that it is not me who does it. I do not deserve salvation. I do not earn salvation. And if I'm trying to earn and deserve my salvation, I go to hell. And anybody else that's in that boat. We get it simply by humbling ourselves and saying, Jesus, I need you. Without you, I have nothing. Then he comes into our life and gives us complete victory. Lifts the sin debt off of our life and says, you are forgiven. And then we feel that lightness. And I hope that each person in this room that knows Jesus, that you know what I'm talking about. You know what it means to feel that lightness, that you are forgiven. You are a new creation that is totally different. You do not have the desires for sin. You do not have the, uh, you have the desire to follow God. And he's lifted the sin debt off of your back. And that's the beauty of it. We know it's true. We know Jesus came and that Jesus was God because of the scriptures that say he shall be from everlasting. And we know that all of this is stuff that he says is true. And we can count on him and we can know that he is true. And mostly for those listening, because I know most of the people in this room, I know most of the people in this room's testimony, but if there's anybody in this room even that doesn't know Jesus in that strong a way, today, pray to him and say, God, I'm a sinner. I deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. Come in and live with me and make me free. He'll make you free. And I just want to challenge anybody that doesn't know him, especially on the Internet, because we preach to so many people on the Internet. Today is the day for salvation. And be able to help reach out and touch people's lives. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you that you love us so much that you paid the price that we could not pay. Lord, that you gave us scriptures to tell us that you would be born and where you would be born and how everything would go and that and all of the chances of this happening are so minuscule that it would be impossible without you. Lord, for anybody that doesn't know you, we ask that today would be the day that they will repent of their sins and turn to you for forgiveness. And that you will come into their life and, and save them. And that they will contact us or some other Christian that they know to let them know what happened. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you, and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, 
But God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431.